You made it, my friend. You prepped your garden spot. You figured out where everything was going to go. You ordered the seeds. You started the seeds. You planted the seeds. And now you get to sit back and wait. I like to call this period of the summer the honeymoon period because the hard work of planting and prepping the garden is done. Congratulations, you made it. And you get a little bit of a reprieve before it's time to start the next round of tasks. So in today's episode, I'm going to give you some of the things I do during this honeymoon period that are going to help you stay on track and set yourself up for success later on so you're not stressing yourself out as the summer progresses. And we'll also talk about some of the common pitfalls that can happen during this honeymoon period, particularly a phenomenon that happens with me every single year and how you can avoid that. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I have helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. So I really love this period of summer, especially in Wyoming. You know, the garden's in and the prairie's greening up and it's not super hot yet, usually at least, and the wind's not blowing. It's just, it's kind of magical. It just is amazing to finally be outside doing stuff after a very long winter. And like I mentioned in the intro, this is the period where you don't have a lot to do in the garden per se. I mean, you got to water you got to check some things, make sure the chickens aren't getting in and digging things up or the dogs aren't destroying stuff. But the workload is definitely lighter during this period than it is during the spring and the fall. So enjoy it, like pat yourself on the back and allow yourself to enjoy that rest. Now, here's what happens to me, though, every single year as I start to enjoy it a little bit too much. And this sounds so silly, but this is literally what I do every year. I put the seeds in, I'm super aware and on top of things. And I'm like, I'm gonna be so ahead of the game and so disciplined. I'm gonna be out there three times a day checking everything to make sure nothing gets away from me. And then, you know, a few days go by and life happens and I kind of forget <laughs> my initial commitment. And I come out three weeks later and the garden is, overgrown. So it's really easy to be lulled to sleep. So don't let that happen, but also do enjoy that little peaceful period because you've put in a lot of work to get to this point. So here are some things I do during this period that help me stay on track. We're going to talk about mulching and watering and weed management and all of this today. So it's going to be a pretty meaty episode. You may want to grab a pen and paper you may, if you're driving, that's cool. Just come back and flag this episode that you might re listen to again when you have a chance to take notes because we're going to cover some ground today. No pun intended. So the first thing to address, I think, during this honeymoon period is making sure your seeds are germinating, right? And it's, it's important that we're paying attention to what's happening. And I think most of you, most of us are going to be doing that 
naturally because it's really exciting and also nerve wracking. And it's hard to be patient when we're waiting for the seeds to poke up out of the soil. So most of us are watching this anyway, but start to pay attention, you know, give the seeds a few days to get going. Watch for them to come out of the soil because if you run into an issue with germination rates, maybe you planted some bad seed and didn't realize it. If you catch it early, it's going to give you a chance to replant before you get too far into summer and then it's too late. So I, I watch this pretty carefully. Um, and every so often, usually it seems like one crop a year or two crops a year, I'll just inevitably have something that doesn't really germinate well. Sometimes it's the seeds fault. Sometimes it's the, my planting procedures fault, but I generally will replant if I catch it early enough. So there's a couple factors that can come into play with seeds not sprouting. So the first one I would take into consideration if you start to see this happening is the age of your seeds. So we talked a little bit about this in the seed episode. Old seeds are going to have a lower germination rate. And I believe I shared how you can test your seeds with paper, wet paper towels, right? So maybe you didn't do that, or maybe your, your data got skewed a little bit, but that would be the first thing I would consider. And if I'm planting, this, this is probably not the orthodox way to do this, but this is what I do. If I'm planting seeds that I suspect are not going to have a super high germination rate, I just plant extra. And then sometimes they all germinate and I have everything crowded and I have to thin it. But I figure that's better than the alternative of having like three bean plants in an entire bed. So old seeds can be a problem. If you are too wet, if your soil is too wet, that can cause some issues. Obviously too dry is a really big deal. This period of germination, when we're waiting for the seeds to arise and emerge from the soil, they have to stay damp. And this is so important that you do not let them dry out because it's almost impossible for them to recover. You know, a mature plant can get a little wilted and we can bring it back to life. But those little tiny seeds, when they have little tails coming out, like once they dry out, you're pretty much toast. So keep the bed sufficiently damp and also make sure, especially if you're hand watering, it's really easy to spray the top of the soil and it looks wet and you don't realize it's not going in as deep as you thought. So, you know, sometimes your soil will get a crust on it and you're like, oh, it's, it's sufficiently watered and it's really not. You're not getting down into the seeds. So as you're watering, make sure you're putting your finger into the soil and seeing how deep the moisture is going. Because if those seeds dry out, you're definitely going to have to replant. Now, another factor that is actually something I deal with a lot, especially when I'm planting early, when I'm trying to push the envelope a little bit with my frost date and like maybe I can plant some greens or some peas a little early, is if the soil is too cold, stuff will not sprout. Will not sprout. And for example, you know, our planting date is Memorial Day. There have been years where I'm like, I'm going to push this and I'm going to get some spinach and lettuce in the ground May 1st, just to see what happens. And sure enough, I put it in the ground and I water it and I wait and I wait and I wait. And guess what? It generally comes up a month later when I plant everything else. Like I have a very hard time trying to cheat the system where I live because if the soil is not warm, the seeds will not sprout. It's the same principle if you're starting seeds in your house or in your basement 
and you put them in a cool room, you can have all of the light in the world and they're going to do very poorly unless the room is warm. So the soil needs to have warmed up and there are some ways you can warm up soil. Um, sometimes people say raised beds help soil to heat up faster. I haven't really seen that to be the case with my beds, but maybe that works better for other people. Sometimes people will put black plastic over a bed for a while to kind of trap the heat and cause it to heat up faster. I haven't done that personally, but that's an option. But honestly, you know what? I just kind of wait until it heats up naturally because that seems to me the simplest option there. So old seeds are a problem. Too much water is a problem. Too dry is a problem. Too cold is a problem. And the last one, this might not be something you've thought of, birds, stinking birds. <laughs> and there have been a number of years I, the beans, I have a hard time with my beans germinating. I don't know why. Well, I do know why, but it's frustrating. Um, I will be like, man, my beans aren't coming up. I don't know what's going on. Like something's happening. The seed is bad. And then I start to watch a little more closely and the birds are eating them as they come out of the soil. And I can find the little stalks, but the leaves are gone or they're chomped down. And you know, if that's something you're dealing with, you're dealing with rabbits, the dang rabbits or something like that. You're going to have to figure out a way to fence the bed off or cover the bed, put netting or something over the top. But that can be causing your seedlings to not show up. So take that into consideration. Uh, another issue, I'm going to go back to the beans again, because beans and I, like I either have, I've had some really good bean years or I've had some really poor bean years. So I don't know. Um, with the beans, I think they tend to, the seed seems to degrade faster, at least for me. Um, the seed gets bad more quickly than other varieties. Also, we have that iron deficiency I shared about in the soil testing episode. I talked about we're low in iron. That really affects bean plants. I think it can have a role in how well they come up and how well they grow when they're first getting started. They tend to get a little yellow if they're deficient and they don't thrive. So I think that has something to do with it as well. So all of that to say, if you're going to do some detective work, with your non-germinating seeds, you know, there's a couple factors to consider and you can definitely replant if you're concerned. Do make sure you're giving your seeds plenty of time though. You know, beans and peas and squash can usually come up pretty quickly, maybe a week. I mean, don't quote me. It's, I think it's about four, four five, seven days-ish. Other seeds like carrots, they are notorious for taking weeks and weeks to germinate. And what will often happen with carrots is all the weeds will start to come up long before the carrots uh, sprouts come through. So you're like weeding and I, it's really a, a pain because you're trying to figure out where's the baby carrot, where's the weed, because the weeds are like three times as high. That is just kind of the nature of carrots. Um, I've seen some people talk about putting a board over the top of their carrots, like where they plant them, like a two by four. And that'll kind of suppress the weeds, but you have to pull that off as the carrots start to come through the soil. So you could try stuff like that. Honestly, I usually just set aside an afternoon and go out and weed the stinking carrot bed, which is not my favorite job, but turn on a podcast or some music and just, just get it done. And then it's easier to maintain once you've, you know, been picking through the weeds and plucking the weeds and making sure the carrots have their nice spot. So anyway, okay. So we have that taken care of. Make sure our seeds are germinating. What's next? Okay, the next thing I do during this honeymoon period, and I don't do this the day I plant or even the week I plant. I do this in stages. 
as my plants start to come up through the soil. So when I start to see things pop up, the squash, the beans, um, the peas, and I know where those plants are, I replant if needed, anything that didn't come up, and then I will start to mulch. And I've done a couple podcast episodes back in the original season all about mulch. I've done hay mulch, I've done straw mulch, I've done grass mulch, I've done all kinds of mulches, and you can go back and listen to those if you want. Um, but just in a nutshell, my current favorite mulch for the garden is grass clippings. We do have a lawn. Uh, I know a lot of homesteaders hate lawns, and here's my lawn spiel. So I don't know, I'm just telling you this, maybe you don't care. <laughs> we live on the prairie, and so prairies are grasslands. Prairies love grass. Prairies don't love trees. Prairies don't really love landscaping. So I would love to have a food forest in my front yard in lieu of a lawn, but uh, yeah, it wouldn't really, I mean, it could work, but it's not going to work, right? It's hard to get things to go overgrown jungle book feel in Wyoming. So in, instead of trying to force that and then having it look dead eight months out of the year, we have a lawn and we mow the lawn and then we take the grass clippings and I use them in my garden because we don't spray our lawn with any sort of chemicals. So they're organic grass clippings, if you will. Um, but those have been fantastic mulch for my garden. And I stick them in a pile and then I take a wheelbarrow at a time. And for my four by 10 bed, I usually, that's usually about a wheelbarrow load worth of grass clippings. And I just arrange it, take a handful and just stick it in between all of the plants. So by the time it's all said and done, you see this little baby bean plant sticking up with this giant mound of mulch. Like I go as thick as I can without smothering the plant. And it's magic because mulch holds the water in better. So you're going to conserve water, especially if you live in a dry place like I do. And it suppresses weeds. It's not perfect for weeds. You know, I'm not using the plastic. I don't really want to put plastic on my bed. So an organic mulch isn't going to be 100%, but it absolutely helps. 100% helps. And then um, it also breaks down, which is why I love organic mulches versus a plastic, because it breaks down and adds organic matter to the soil. And on the beds that I've been mulching, the texture of the soil improves. I get more worms and more soil life. It's just happier, right? Soil doesn't like to be naked. And if we think about in nature, the places where soil is uncovered and barren, those are usually deserts, right? That's a non-healthy <laughs> growing environment. So soil likes to be covered. And for me, grass clippings are a great way to do that. And some people ask, you know, what do I do when my grass clippings start to get a little bit musty or slimy? I still use them. They're not as pleasant to apply, but I still use them. And I haven't had an issue with them hurting the plants. Obviously, you know, if they start to create heat in a pile, I'm spreading them thin enough on the garden that that heat is dissipating. So that's not a concern. But I highly recommend mulching. And you will have to reapply the mulch um, throughout the summer because it starts to break down. And that's okay. That's what we want. But it's worth the little bit of time. It's going to save you a lot of effort in the long run. Um, okay, when we talk about mulch, I also like to mention the back to Eden method because method because I always get a ton of emails like, have you heard of it? Have you heard of it? Yes, I have. Watch the video. I'm familiar with the technique. Basically with back to Eden, um, just the quick cliff notes version, you use wood chips, not bark, but actual wood chips as your mulch. 
And there is a man, I can't remember his last name. I think his first name is Paul. He's the creator of the method. I think he lives in the Pacific Northwest and he's had fantastic results with Back to Eden. I've known other folks that have had great gardens with Back to Eden. I've considered it. I have not done it because I've heard mixed reviews of the long-term effects of Back to Eden in some places. I don't know if it's a great fit for everybody. And my concern is, is once you put a, t a dump truck load of wood chips on your garden, <laughs> it's real hard to change your mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's my concern is I would go all in. And then if I decide in two years that it's not working, what a nightmare to pull them off. And the concern that I've seen some people have is that, you know, wood is carbon. And when you start to put large amounts of carbon into the soil, it ties up the nitrogen. And a lot of plants need nitrogen and it can get out of balance and affect the growing. And again, that doesn't happen to everyone. Some people have had wonderful results. And the benefit is you're layering the carbon versus mixing it in. You never want to mix wood into your soil because that can really get you out of whack. Uh, but anyway, that's why I haven't done it. But it's worth looking into if it's something you think could fit your situation and if you have access to wood chips. So there is my back to Eden spiel. Hey friend, I'm interrupting this episode for just a sec to give you a very important reminder. If you have not yet purchased seeds for this year, I would recommend doing that ASAP. We are seeing some pretty crazy seed shortages right now, partially because a lot of people are gardening who didn't in the past, and partially because of some weird COVID stuff. And there's a lot of varieties that are selling out. So now is the time. I get a lot of people asking about my favorite place to order seeds. And one of my absolute favorite companies in the whole wide world is True Leaf Market. They're basically like a giant virtual seed rack. They have tons of heirloom and organic varieties, all the vegetables, herbs, cover crops, flowers, and even microgreens. Plus their seeds have a great germination rate and they ship super fast. Head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash seeds to do some shopping. And just for my listeners, use code SPRING2021 when you check out to save $10 off your first order of $50 or more. Now, back to our episode. Uh, watering. In addition to mulch, obviously watering is really important during our honeymoon period. I will say that the best thing I ever did for my garden wasn't the raised beds, wasn't the hail net, although that was pretty cool. It was the watering system on timers that we put in. That was hands down the best thing we ever did because prior to that, I was using sprinklers or hand watering. And here's the thing about hand watering. You're usually really good about it on days one through four and you're disciplined and you get everything really drenched. And then enthusiasm wanes ever so slightly and you will find yourself skimping. Even if you don't mean to, it just happens. And turns out plants don't grow very well without enough water. I know like crazy concept, but it's true. I've tried it. <laughs> so when we set up the sprinklers in our raised beds, coincidentally, we used, we started that when we built our raised beds, but you don't have to have raised beds to have a timer. Obviously my garden did so much better because it was getting enough water. 
And it's hard to talk about our sprinkler system on a podcast because you can't see it. And I like, I'm, po I'm pointing right now in my office, but you can't see me pointing and like using my hands. But basically each of our raised beds, we buried the line in the beds when we, before we filled them with soil. And then we have a little PVC pipe that pops up through the middle and we have, we screwed on a, uh, I have no idea what it's called. Christian would have to tell you. I feel like this is not helpful. I'm so sorry. <laughs> a thing. It's a port portal. That's not what it's called, but that's what I'm calling it. And it allows you to screw spaghetti lines, the black spaghetti lines into it. And then you can regulate it with a, um, a switch knob dial thingy on the top. Again, this is not my forte, friends, the technique or the mechanics of <laughs> sprinklers, but uh, bear with me. And then we have four little spaghetti lines that run out across each four by 10 bed, and they each have a tiny little sprinkler on them. And then we uh, split the garden because there's 20 beds. It's quite a few split it into three zones so we don't tax our well. And then we have a timer box on the hydrant near the garden and the primary hose screws into that and it runs each zone. Like it's not very long, like three to five minutes, like twice a day, even in the heat of summer. I know that sounds crazy, but it doesn't take that much. So it cycles through um, each zone, usually in the morning and in the evening. You, you wanna water when it's not blazing hot because things evaporate really quickly. And that's what I do for watering in the garden. And it's worked wonderfully, wonderfully. Now, when we did our in-ground potato bed this past year, it's not a raised bed. It's just a big old strip out in the prairie of potatoes. We did a similar thing where we hooked it up to a timer, but we just used a long hose, a long black hose capped at the end, you know, drip system and put the little drippers, uh, periodically along the hose. And that is what watered our potatoes all year. It was very much hands-off. I didn't have to be out there babysitting it. It turned on once a day, I think. And it was great. The potatoes were fantastic. So I highly recommend figuring out a drip system of some sort. It will save you time. It will save you headache and your plants will grow better. There's all different ways to do it. There's soaker hoses and there's baby sprinklers like I have in my raised beds. And there's all, there's all sorts of ways. But if you can figure out something that works for you, I think you'll definitely not regret it. So we have mulching, we have watering. Now, once it's time to start weeding, you know, you have your mulch and there's still some weeds gonna, that are going to come through. Or you may have some areas where, you know, like, for example, I have a larger corn area that's not in a raised bed. It's just in the ground. And so initially I didn't have enough grass clippings to mulch the corn. And so I was kind of waiting for more grass to come in and I was weeding that area. So I used to go on my hands and knees and weed. And sometimes I still do that, but my new favorite way to weed is with a special type of hoe. Now a regular hoe can work, but there's something called a stirrup hoe or an action hoe. And it, it, it looks like a stirrup with sharp, you know, the, the metal part has sharpened edges and you just gently scrape it along the soil. And if you can picture this, it just cuts the weeds off right at the base. And so it's not necessarily digging up the roots, but you're just cultivating that soil. And it's so much less work. Now, if you wait till the weeds are five feet tall, that doesn't work so hot. But if you can do this, just work this into your routine um, a couple times a week or even just once a week per area in your garden, it saves so much time. And so that was my objective this past year is I got my special hoe 
and I would just cultivate the soil, even if it wasn't super weedy. I didn't wait till it got out of control, but I would just scrape my hoe along um, for 15 minutes, you know, 10 minutes a day. And that drastically reduced my weeds. And then once I got enough mulch, I'd, you know, scrape the bed one final time and put the mulch down. And that, that kept things a lot lower maintenance throughout the summer. Now, another trick you can use in conjunction to your hoeing system, and I've talked about this on previous episodes and it's been super popular, is garden zones. So I like to split my garden into zones because what was happening to me is I was, in years past, I was always feeling out of breath and behind in the garden. Can you relate to that? Like, I always felt like that. I would put all this work in and then I would have on my schedule weed the garden today. And I'd go out there and spend an hour and feel like I didn't make a dent. And I just, I don't like that feeling of being behind. It's unmotivating to me. Like the more behind I feel, the less I want to work on it, which is really paradoxical, but that's how I roll. So when I feel like I'm staying on top of things and I, you know, am in control and I'm not drowning, then I just feel more happy to go do something. So here's what I did. I divided my garden into five zones. Now, I have 20 raised beds, so I divided, you know, four beds in each zone. You could do this however makes sense for your setup. And then my goal was to work in one zone each weekday. You could do weekends too, but I just did five days for the week, the work week. And my goal was to just pay attention to that zone and do whatever it needed during that period. And then once I was done, I was done. And I knew that I had completed it. So, you know, zone one would be on Monday and I might do a little weeding. I might mulch things, mulch areas that were sparse or maybe put mulch on for the first time. I'd make sure my sprinkler lines were covering the water was reaching where it should. Um, I might spend some time weeding the walkways. And then once, like I said, once it was done, I was done unless I just felt extra motivated to keep going. But if I was having a busy day or I had other things to do, I just felt complete completion. That doesn't work together. Complete completion. I felt total completion because I had checked it off and I'm a checker offer. I love lists. Some people don't like lists, but I thrive when I can check a task off and feel done. And that's what the zones do for me as I feel done. And it was 10 minutes a day is what it ended up being. If that, because when you're doing it on a regular basis, you know, I'm hitting zone one every Monday, I'm hitting zone two every Tuesday. The weeds don't have a chance to get ahead of you. The walkways don't get overgrown like they were totally doing to me years in years past. And I started to enjoy my garden a lot more without it feeling like it was controlling my life. So that is my recommendation. If you feel stressed over your garden stuff, break it down and assign a piece to each day. I think it's a life-changing concept. Just saying. Alrighty, what else do we have to cover in our honeymoon period? Oh, the big one, pests. I get so many emails about garden pests, the rabbits, the deer, the bugs, the worms, the gophers. Um, I will say I don't have magical solutions for all of those just because I don't deal with all of them. We don't have deer and we do have a fence around our garden, so that helps a little bit. Deer are not really an issue. Gophers aren't a super big issue for us. Um, I do have cabbage moths and potato bugs and I started getting slugs this year. I've never had slugs before. Like, what the heck? Where did you guys come from? It's Wyoming. It's how are you not dried out? 
I don't understand it. But anyway, uh, the slugs. So I do have bugs. Um, I would say pests in the garden are tricky if you're going the organic route, which I'm assuming many of you are. I don't use the sprays from the garden store. I mean, that is an option, but I'd rather not do that. What I have done... Okay, here's here's what I've done. I do have a homemade pest spray, and I can link that in the show notes. It's on the blog. I'm writing a note to myself right now. Homemade pest spray link, so I don't forget. And it is a mixture of... You put like garlic and onions and cayenne pepper in your blender and make a concentrate and then add water. So that can work. I have had luck with that. Um, you could also make a simple spray with essential oils and a little bit of soap because there's a lot of essential oils bugs do not like, like basil or peppermint or rosemary. You can, like, here's the thing. There is not one size fits all formula. And that's frustrating, I think, to a lot of people because they want like the magic formula. And I don't know if it exists. You have to play with your, your bugs and see what your bugs really hate and then go with that. So essential oils in a, you know, diluted heavily in water with a little bit of natural liquid dish soap helps because that soap will coat the leaves. Give that a try. You can sprinkle diatomaceous earth, which is that very fine powder on the leaves of plants. It's not my favorite because it washes off quickly with rain or water, and it also will damage your beneficial insects, your bees, and all the good stuff you want in your garden. So I would only do that as a last, last resort. Um, Other options, the cabbage is a big one because uh, those cabbage moths are just nasty. So one option I think that is best for those is to cover your cabbages or your cauliflower or your broccoli. You can get a netting, a a light white netting and put that over just to keep the bugs off. I would give that a try. Um, Another help with this is to rotate your crops. So you're not planting stuff in the same bed and that can help discourage the cycle of the pests a little bit. Like I rotate my cabbage around and I still get the cabbage moths. They still find me, but you know, other bugs may not be as prolific if they aren't having the same crop in the same area year after year. So it is a little bit of a battle. I will admit to, to fight the pests for the vegetables, use sprays where you can. Um, I will say growing certain things like greens, you know, the kale and the chard and the spinach, it always looks like lace because of all the bugs eating it. They love it. Like we had a year with grasshoppers two years ago. My kid, I went out one day, the kale was fine. I went out the next day. I was like, where's my kale? And it was just green twigs sticking up. They had eaten every bit of every leaf. It was the saddest thing you have ever seen. Thankfully we don't get grasshoppers every year. Um, but that was a nightmare. Anyway, some of those plants, the, the greens, especially, I've been growing them in my greenhouse this winter, unheated greenhouse. It's magical because there's no bugs. I have the prettiest crop of spinach and lettuce and arugula that I've ever had because there's nothing to eat it. And the greens actually like the cold. So some of those things, you may be able to grow them in a bug-free season and have a little better luck. So think about that as well. Holy moly. This is a long episode, guys. We've covered a lot of ground mulching and bugs and weeds and watering and germination. So I'm going to let you guys go because I feel like your brain may be spinning just a little bit, but that's a good thing. Lots of fun things during this garden honeymoon period. And I hope that was helpful. I hope that gave you an idea of what to expect, some strategies. Know that 
you know, I'm telling you all these things. If you've never had a garden before, you might be feeling overwhelmed. She's you're like, she's talking about watering and sprinkler systems and special hose and garden zones and mulching. Like if this feels like a lot for you, remember you can just stick a seed in the ground and water it. My first year, I didn't have a fence. I didn't have a sprinkler system. I didn't have mulch. I didn't have anything but a basic hoe. <laughs> I didn't know how to spray for bugs. I just started the process. So don't let this discourage you if you're feeling like this is a lot. It can be as simple as you want it to be. So let that be an encouragement to you. And enjoy that honeymoon period because harvest season is coming, my friend. It is coming. And we are talking about that next episode as well as what to do if you can't find canning lids, because that is a real problem right now. So we're going to talk about that and harvest and how to deal with a big harvest or a little harvest, all that good stuff and everything in between. So as always, if you want to stay in touch with me between episodes, I'm on Instagram quite a bit at the Prairie Homestead, or if you're ditching social media these days, you can keep up with me on email, I email about once a week, not too much. And you can sign up for that at theprairiehomestead.com slash layout. And that link says layout because when you sign up, you get a free copy of my homestead layout planning guide. So just a little thank you gift. Whew, that's all for today, my friend. Thank you so much for listening and leaving reviews and ratings and comments. Keeps me going. I read every single one and I so appreciate your support. Take care and we will talk again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.